0: Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at SummitSanMarcos.com. Come on, come on, touch city. So, I found my way up here again. I don't, I don't know how it happened. They're like, but anyways, uh, like Taylor said, we've been going through a series on Discovering Your Destiny. And I really believe this could be the most important question for us young adults, right? Is trying to figure out, what are we even doing, you know? Because some of y'all got jobs, but you're like, Lord knows, this is not what I'm going to be doing for the next 37 years, you know what I'm saying? And I'm probably going to be around, so (laughs) I better figure out what I'm doing, because 37 years later, I'm going to wonder how the heck I got here. So (laughs) we might spend some time discovering our destiny. We might want to ask ourselves some questions about what, does God have for my life? And we might want to ask God some of those questions about what he wants to do. The thing that helps in the struggle the most is to stop believing lies about your worth. To stop believing lies about your value. Because I got to tell you guys, worthless people, they do worthless things. If you think that you're worthless, if you think that you suck, if you think you already messed up and I'm a sinner anyways, so easy to sin. It's like really easy to engage in that bad habit again, because you've already gotten yourself worked up for it. You just know that you're that type of person, that you just have that addiction, right? Worthless people do worthless things. And to say it more correctly, people who believe that they're worthless will settle for worthless things. I ain't going to (laughs) settle. Do you believe you're worthless? Because I used to buy that lie. I used to buy the lie that I don't have any value. Um... Anyways, uh, if you feel worthless, if you feel invisible, if you feel like a burden, what do you do? What do you do in those moments where you're just not tall enough? (laughs) (laughs) What do you do in those moments when you don't feel like you contribute to this world and you don't have a destiny? So tonight we're continuing that series on destiny. Tonight, I want to share some keys with you to ensure that your story, that your life has a lasting impact. And it starts with believing that you're valuable. It starts with undoing the lies. And so, first, a word on how the lies grew in my life. So, when I was a kid, I was like nine. I was pretty different than my brothers, right? (laughs) I I had learned to be vocal about all the needs that I had in my life because the pain was so intense, right? But I had a lot of special needs. I didn't eat the same food that my brothers ate. I didn't have um, the same type of education that my brothers had. I had problems throwing up, and I couldn't sleep at night. So one time, my parents were talking, and they didn't know that I could hear them, but my hearing's really sharp. Thanks, Dad. Um, (laughs) Because my dad has really good hearing. Uh, And they were talking about the meal shakes that they had to buy for me, and and the sleeping pills that I was taking that weren't working either. Um, And they were just talking about how expensive it was, and they weren't sure what they were going to do about the financial hardship in the next month. And just when I started to hear those words, it just hit me like a train going 100 miles an hour. And I started to think, what if I'm a burden to my parents? What if I'm actually draining on their resources because of all the money they have to spend? They don't spend that kind of money on my brother, John. They don't spend that kind of money on my brother, Robert. And I started to wonder, why was I so different? And why did I have so many special needs, if you've been there? (laughs) They didn't think that I could hear them. But that new thought crept in. And with all the injuries, the trips to the hospital, the pills that I had to take falling down all the time, I started to really wonder, what if I'm a burden to them? And what if I'm a burden to people around me? What if I don't have that much value? And even years later, I would return to that exact moment, the words that they said in my mind, and I would hear those words, and it would remind me, it was like a mantra that reminded me of, I'm a burden to other people around me. So Destiny, what do you contribute when you're a burden? How can you be somebody when you don't see yourself as being able to do anything to contribute? I mean, imagine believing you're a burden to people, and these are the same people that love you. It's crazy. I mean, these people, they literally choose to have you in their lives. My parents, they wanted to give me all of that stuff, and we were going to be okay, but I had twisted it all. Even though they were reaching out to me with love, care, and concern, I had twisted it and turned it into, I'm taking so much that I'm a burden. And it's so crazy how you can take something that's just so normal, that's meant to be loving, and you can twist it. And I think that that's something that's from the devil. And I want you to know that I figured out that it was a lie. That your life is not just a net negative for people around you. You're not just some toxic force or human being that just sucks resources, right? You might be able to bring sorrow into someone's life, but even that can't nullify the amazingness that you bring to this earth. And certainly not the potential that you have. <laughs> certainly not for me. There was no learning disability that could keep me down. There was no amount of feeling of burden that God wasn't able to speak to. And I want you to know tonight, because I didn't have enough people tell me, that you matter. You matter. I don't know if I'm straight up stealing this quote from someone else, but there's a quote that I love that's close to my heart, that's helped me in my journey, and it's, the world is better with you in it. And that's our title tonight, better with you. This world is a better place because you're in it. It's better. It's so good that you were created for this exact time right here, right now. There's actually no one else who can flourish in the circumstances that you are living in, in the family and with the struggles that you have. I want you guys to know, people see me as a really strong person, and Lord knows I've been through some stuff, right? And sometimes (laughs) that makes you strong, right? But what you're going through would crush me. I wouldn't be able to handle it. It would crush anyone else. There's really only one like you. And you got to be the one to do this. you got to grab your destiny. You got to start seeing your worth because there's only one person who can flourish there. There's only one person who can, God can raise up to be a deliverer there. There's some family members that you have and they're, they're not going to believe if it's not you. <laughs> That's just how it is. People could share with them on the streets. God might be able to work in their lives. He might raise up someone else, but he has placed you in that place in that moment and you get to partner with him if you want to. Don't miss it your life has always been meant to matter. And what I want to encourage you guys is each and every birth that I've seen is a miracle, right? We see in Luke one sixty six about the birth of Jesus. All who heard the news of Jesus were wondered and astonished. If a miracle brought his birth, what on earth will this child become? Clearly, God's presence is upon this child in a powerful way. And I know we think here that it's just talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. But show me a birth is not a miracle. Show me a birth where God was not intimately involved, and I will show you a life that doesn't matter. I will show you a life that has no impact. In Psalm 139.14, we see that God is intimately, intimately involved with all of our births. It says, You form my innermost being, shaping my delicate desire inside. Oops, I added a word. That's exciting. And my intricate outside. And wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. So I got to tell you, like we were talking in the, you know, during the music tonight, God knows you better than you know yourself. And if you don't see yourself as as valuable as he does, then you might need to humble yourself and bring your estimation of yourself up to the way that he sees you. Because this dude, I know it's weird to call God dude, but whatever, right? But this dude, he was willing to bankrupt heaven. He was willing to take the most precious thing and give it up as a sacrifice for you. And God didn't just do it to be some noble dude, right? God did it for you. He did it to connect with you because you were on the other side of that sacrifice, and that's the only thing—the only thing that would make him willing to give up something so precious. It's the only thing that would drive a man insane enough to sell all that he owed or all that he owned to buy a field, and that's what God did. He bought something out of joy, and he paid the ultimate price. The world is better with you in it because of the life—the value your life adds. And I dare you tonight to believe God's good plans for you, like we see in Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven they will happen. And at all times, whether you're struggling or not, God's going to oversee your life. He's going to oversee your destiny and make sure it comes to pass. And what I want us to know tonight, one of the things that I want to go over is I want you to know that there's a conscience on the inside of you. And some people think it just stops there. (laughs) But if you're a believer if God's inside of you, if Holy Spirit's inside of you, he doesn't just exist to let you know when you're doing something wrong, but he might, right? <laughs> you find yourself in one of those paranormal activity movies, you might start feeling a little weird, right? But he is actually there also to convict you of your worth and your righteousness, of your value that you have to God, your God-given identity as a son and a daughter, And I want you to know that every son and daughter who's a son and daughter of the king, there's a leadership authority transfer in that moment. But only a son who believes that he has value and deserves that he is meant to rule is actually going to walk in it. A father could even try to promote him and say, it's time for you to walk in your destiny. And the son could say, no, I'm not worthy of being a royal. You were always born a noble. You were always born a royal. You are my daughter. You are my son. How could you possibly not rule and reign? And it's not to say that we're going to rule and reign in praise of God, but God has raised us up in authority to take authority over this world and to enforce the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So your life adds value because you're a son, because you're a daughter. Every city that you're a part of, San Marcos, (laughs) every friend group that you're in, every family that you're in, every church that you're a part of, even if you're living in rebellion, if you're afraid, if you're in the wrong place, there's still a value that you bring, and there's no amount of rebellion and compromise that can undo that value. God still sees that value, and he has so much mercy and power and grace attached to that value, and I want to show you that in the Bible. So if you still got the little type of Bible where you flip it, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 23, and I do not think we're going to read this whole passage. Because the Lord knows um, (laughs) that this passage is kind of long. But this is a story about Abraham and one of his relatives named Lot. And in this moment, there's two angels that have been sent to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going to destroy this region God has dispatched them from heaven and they're going to destroy it and for reasons I literally can't explain in Genesis chapter 18 they stop by like yo dude let's say hi to Abraham like I don't know how the conversation went but they're literally like going to destroy the city and they're like let's go talk to Abraham you know and then they actually feel a little bit bad they're like wondering and like you know I don't know if like God wants to tell him and then they like kind of walk away and then God actually asks himself and he's like man should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham right and the angels go off to do their thing and God ends up telling Abraham, hey, I'm actually going to destroy these cities. And this is the conversation that then happens between Abraham and God. So Abraham drew near once the Lord was asking himself, should I hide this from Abraham? And he said, will you indeed sweep away, this is verse 23, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within a city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? And Abraham knew that his relative was living in these cities. He wasn't just asking this question because he was appealing to the mercy of God. He wanted to see his relative live. And we could read the whole story, and it, it is pretty exciting. But Abraham actually does this, I'm sorry if this is weird, but does this like kind of Jewish culture type thing where he, bar, he barters and he bargains God down all the way to ten. And so he just keeps saying, hey God, what if there was five missing, right? Would, would that cause you not to spare the city? Is 45 not enough? And God says, no, 45 is enough, right? He's like, what if, what if there was only 30? Like, is that enough for you? And he literally just keeps talking God down. He has these different negotiation tactics that he uses. This is crazy, right? And if you've never been in a culture that has this type of bartering and bargaining where like sometimes the price is not known for something and you could talk it down, it's a real thing. And it's a beautiful thing to people with that. For some reason, there's like a relationship in the bargaining and the bartering. It's not just about trying to take advantage of people. And so there's this hilarious story that you can read sometime when you have more time. uh, (laughs) about Abraham bartering God all the way down to 10. But basically, he's talking to God, and he says, for 20 righteous will you spare the city. And then we're going to pick up, and in verse um, 32, where it says, suppose 10 are found there. And then in verse 32, it says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And it's probably not up there on the screen, but after that, God leaves, right? And the angels have already been dispatched to destroy the city. So that whole story and that process happens in chapter 19. And so the crazy thing is, is that I don't know if there's 10 righteous people that live in this city. There's definitely one. (laughs) There's definitely Lot, right? And we'll talk about who he is in just a second. But I want to emphasize something. Um, I don't have time to go with you, all the details with you guys, because I don't want to get bogged down in it. But I can show you three examples of Lot. Being just a sinful guy, living in compromise, living in fear, not walking in the destiny that God has for him. There's a time that we're not going to read, um, so you don't have to put it up there if you have it, but there's a time in Genesis 19.8 where a bunch of people in his city have resolved to do something completely wicked and just awful in their hearts, and Lot makes excuses for them, and he makes allowances for their wickedness, and he doesn't stand up for justice, and he doesn't stand up for people who are defenseless, and God looks at that, and he's like, that is not okay, (laughs) right? (laughs) And there's another time where, you know, Lot is just kind of like in rebellion, and he doesn't even want to leave the city, and it gets so bad that his family members don't even and all come with him. It turns out that his son-in-laws won't leave the city with him. And Lot doesn't even want to leave. He actually ends up bargaining with the God to go to another city. And again in Genesis 19:30, his relatives know that he has an alcohol problem. And I'm assuming, I'm making some assumptions here, but all I know is they leave their house, right? They have to leave instantly and they have almost no provisions. They've been living in the caves for a couple weeks, and lots of relatives kind of decide, "Oh, we're going to get Lot drunk." And so, like, dude, so a couple problems with that. A, like, why the heck do they have a bunch of alcohol if they just flee the city for their very lives? If he's putting that much value on alcohol, he might have a problem. B, why would the first thing that his relatives think of getting this man to drink? It's probably because he already had a problem with it. And for bonus points, in Genesis 19, 30-something, 30, like 32 or 33, this dude gets drunk again. And weird stuff happens, right? And so this is a very sinful man who's living in fear, he's living in compromise, and he he hasn't even committed his heart to the Lord. This is a man who is not willing to stand up for justice. Yeah, no, it's really weird. So if you actually read the story, you'll, you'll see like it's way more dark than you think, all of those moments. But there's those three moments where Lot was just seen to be a man who lived in fear, was seen to be a man who had given up on his destiny to deliver his city, who had given up on standing for righteousness, and he probably did have a problem with alcohol. A, like, why would you bring it with you? would be your family members are like, we know this because double you, and twice, right? <laughs> so that's, that's just crazy to me. But what's even more crazy is that Lot counted. He was one of the ten. And uh, there wasn't ten found. But he was one of the ten. And Lot's very presence in the city caused the two angels that the Lord sent to destroy the city to say to him in verse 22, which y'all can put on the screen, it says, but flee there quickly. Because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And this is one of the moments where he bartered with God. He's like, I don't want to live in the hills. The hills are scary. Can I go live in this other city? Right? And then God's like, fine, whatever. And so, but the angels basically tell him, like, hey, we're not even going to destroy. Nothing's going to happen. There's no wrath that's going to be poured out until you're not here. Because he's one of the righteous ones. Remember how God said, I will not sweep away the wicked and the righteous? So Lot got life flighted out of there, right? And we talked about how he didn't want to leave and his son-in-laws were like stupid and they didn't end up coming with him because of Lot's shenanigans. So anyways, <laughs> all that happens. And again, in Genesis nineteen twenty-nine, which we're not going to look at, Abraham is praying for Lot. And he's praying that God would deliver him. And we just see through all of this that there's just, again, there's three moments where Lot sinned and there's three moments where God expressly said, I'm going to deliver Lot. And he's one of the righteous ones. That God looked at the way that he was living and he sent angels with him to help him, right? And I think part of the reason that all this was happening is because there was a moment here for Lot that I think a lot of us missed, and Lot definitely missed. There was a moment like we see in the book of Jonah, which is also a couple chapters that we're not gonna read tonight, but in the book of Jonah, there's a people that are living in absolute wickedness and rebellion. An entire city has fallen and they're living in wickedness, and God sends one man. And he preaches the message of hope that God tells him to preach. And it is literally the worst presentation of the gospel that I have seen in the entire word of God. But he faithfully says the exact minimum of what God required him to say. <laughs> and when he does, that entire city goes to repentance. But even though he did the exact minimum, he really called the people higher to stand up for righteousness. And he did not do what Lot did in Genesis 19.8, which is actually a really horrifying story, right? <laughs> but... He didn't do what Lot did, and the people repented, right? So I think had Lot stand up for justice, like God had probably anointed him to do in that place, this city may have been delivered, and that could have been the thing that tipped the scales and found the ten. I think that's why God sent angels that went to Lot. Like, they weren't just there to flight him out, because they would have just taken him out immediately, right? I think taking them out was a concession to Lot's compromise, And it was God's favor and grace in it, if that makes sense. I think the angels were sent there for a different reason. Otherwise, you'd just be like, nuke. You know what I mean? Or like when the angels got there, they'd be like, yo, bro, it is literally time to leave. Like you are surrounded by some darkness and things are about to get really weird, right? (laughs) That story is absolutely insane. Like (laughs) I'm telling you, we're not going to go through the details, but that story is literally insane. But anyways, the angels didn't come there to just take Lot out of the city. They came there so that Lot could make a stand for justice. And Lot compromised. He lived in fear, but God counted him as a righteous one. And even though there wasn't 10, there was at least one. I don't know about his daughters, (laughs) but there was at least one righteous person in the city, right? There was at least one. And if Lot is that valuable to God, even when he was living in compromise, how valuable are you to God? If the world was much better with Lot in it, especially because an entire city was not wiped out because that dude lived there, so their quality of life was extended and increased by his very presence, right? How much more of great value is a son of God, is a daughter of God? Can I find 10 righteous people in San Marcos? right? And it's not about a formula, right? Their city was probably a thousand people or something like that. Some scholars can fight over how many people lived there and like proportionally like the percentage of righteousness, right? I don't know about all that. That's weird. It's not about a formula, but how much more would God look at a son of God? Lot was someone who was an old creation. He was someone who was not brought into the fold yet. And I want you to know that just like Lot, the world is a lot better with you in it, and you're a lot better than Lot, You're a new creation. I know, it's crazy. You're a new creation. Old creations are worth so much to God. The old creation was enough for him to go through three shenanigans just to save Lot and grant his requests from a man who was fearful, sketchy, and sinful. And who wasn't wasn't a believer. You know, he wasn't following Jesus, and he probably wasn't even following Yahweh or anything like that, right? And he certainly wasn't willing to stand up for those who couldn't defend themselves, which the people who believed in Yahweh did in that time. And Lot did not do. Abraham stood up for the defenseless, but Lot did not. And so how do we start to see ourselves as a son or a daughter? How do we see ourselves as even in our worst moments that God would bankrupt heaven and that he would assign such a great value to us? And I think it starts with believing that God has a destiny for you to be a deliverer too, just like Lot. He wants you to believe in his goodness, that it will work out your destiny. And so I want to look at Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, says the Lord. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. And there's another translation I kind of know about, like, God watching over his word and making sure it doesn't go into the ground, right? So you might hear me talk about both translations, and you're like, what's going on? But anyways, if God is going to watch over every word that he speaks over the earth and make sure it accomplishes all— he's the one who's responsible for that. And he will not let any of his words go into the ground. He will not let any of his words come back empty until they accomplish all that God desires them to do and achieve their purpose. And trust me, there was even people who tried to live in rebellion like Pharaoh, and God still used their life to bring him the amazing glory that he always intended. And I think Pharaoh, again, had an opportunity to be like Joseph and give God glory. And God's like, "Ah, I'm still going to use your life to bring me the same glory. It's just going to be a little different because y'all rebellious, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so what about the word that God God spoke to make you the word that started your life. When I look at the word that God spoke for me, I think God is going to watch over that. He's going to make sure it accomplishes all that he desires, and I will achieve the purpose for which I was sent out. So what does powerful optimism look like? What does it look like to align our perspective with God to reach our destiny? I think it looks like having a concrete desire and saying, God, I want this, and then asking him, hey, God, is this something that you want? Is this something that's in your heart? And then also praying throughout the process, and God will partner with you there. To give you an example, I had a desire. I have the desire to have grandkids. I know that's crazy. It's kind of a weird thing, but I have a desire to have grandkids, and I prayed to God about it, and I feel like he spoke to me about my grandkids, and I wrote some stuff down, and I know because of the word that I received that I'm going to have grandkids, right? (laughs) And so that's one of those things where this is a desire. I brought it before the Lord. He showed me that it was in his heart, and then I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that what I've heard happens. And in the whole process, I'm going to pray and ask God for new direction and strength as I partner with him to see that dream become a reality. And so you could say it's a little bit optimistic for someone who's not even in a relationship, married or anything, (laughs) to believe he's going to have grandkids, not even going to live that long, right? But I don't think it's foolish to believe at all because this is a desire that's in my heart, that God spoke to me about, that He showed me was in His heart, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen in the way that He wants, and throughout the whole process, I'm going to pray and ask for direction. I'm going to pray and ask for strength, because Lord knows there is no way that that is going to happen if God's not partnering with me, right? (laughs) And so... I think that's the second key. So the first key that we talked about is just knowing the value that you have, knowing that like Lot, even in your compromise or not compromise, that you're a son, your daughter, and that your life counts. And this other way is optimism and believing this is what I the perspective optimistically of what I want to happen. I'm gonna ask God if it's in his heart then I'm going to make, every, make it happen with my power. I'm going to do everything I can to see that to its fruition. And then pray for God, pray to God in the whole process, asking him for direction and strength to do it. And so the last thing that I kind of wanted to go over is just about Holy Spirit inside of us. Like I was saying, Lot had all of these moments. We have all of these moments to live out our destiny. And I think it's so important to know that you don't just have a conscience, but you have a friend who's inside of you. And his job is not just about letting you know when you're doing something wrong, right? His job, like any good friend, is to let you know how valuable you are, how much you mean to them, and when you're doing something right. What is any victory worth if friends don't celebrate you, right? And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And it says, um, I'm just going to read one part of it. It says, Uh, For he will bring all that is hidden in darkness to light and unveil every secret motive of everyone's heart, right? And so there's this passage in the Bible where it's talking about God's going to bring to light every dark and secret motive of someone's heart. And I think we automatically think of those as the bad things, that God's going to bring all that stuff to the surface and people are going to get judged. But I want you guys to know that this is not only the evil motives. This is the hidden things of your heart. The influence, and if you read this verse in its context, you will see that God's talking about love and faithfulness and righteousness and the kindness and the things that you do in the secret place that no one sees. In fact, two things. One, I'm a new creation in Christ, right? And so I don't even have that same sin stuff in my life. And two, I know about my sin. Every compromise that I make is right in front of my face, and I absolutely am aware of it, but I am not aware of how much I mean to God. I am not aware of how he sees my faithfulness. I am not aware of the impact of my worship. I'm not aware of the impact of the kindness that I do to other people. There is homeless people that I've helped on the streets, and I might never see the impact of that. That is the secret thing of my heart, and if you boil my heart down to the most intimate, the most secret, the most hidden, well-guarded thing, it's all gonna be about Jesus. It's all gonna be about righteousness, faithfulness, and the righteousness that God God placed inside of my heart. That's the thing that's hidden to me. I don't understand my righteousness. I don't understand the faithfulness God's given me. This is part of the good news of the gospel, that when you look really deep inside of your heart, what you'll see is kindness, righteousness, love, and faithfulness. And if you're not seeing it, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. And like any good friend, he'll just give you a kick, you know, and he'll let you know, hey, you are, faithful. <laughs> you are faithful, you are righteous, you are loving, and he will reveal to you special moments. That moment when you were on, alone on a hike and you were praying, that was one of the most precious moments to God ever. It's something that in the whole landscape of eternity, with every human being that he spends time with, where he's like, that mattered to me, and that's hidden to you. You don't see, perceive, or understand that in fullness now, and God will reveal it. You matter. You are awesome. And I'm 100% it's God's will for you guys to have a destiny, for you to be raised up as a deliverer. You have immense value, and the world is better with you in it. You have got to believe this and agree with your own value if you want to get to your destiny in life. And the way to start taking steps towards that is by believing it, believing you're valuable, walking in the optimism through that asking God, this is something that I want. Do you want this? And then asking, and then when you know it's something that he wants, be like, I'm gonna make it happen and I'm gonna pray in the process to get there. And ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of your value and guide you. I, I challenge you all, really actually ask the Holy Spirit in incorporate. I was trying to say like three words at once and none of them came out. Um, But make it a part of your prayer time, right? Make it a part of your prayer time to the Lord. Like like any friend reminds you of how important and valuable you are to them. You know, you've all had friends do this to you. Y'all can't look at me like you've been living around for 20-something years and no one's told you that you're important to them and that they love you, right? (laughs) I felt like that at times, but it was totally a lie from Satan, right? (laughs) And so, Friends do that for friends, and the Holy Spirit will do that for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the great worth and the value that he has for you. And tonight, I think it's warranted optimism to believe that our lives are going to have an impact on this world and change this entire city because that's what God wants. And if I think my life is not going to be that amazing, then I might need to humble myself and bring myself up to where God sees me. So I just want to pray for you all as we're closing. God, I just thank you so much for the destiny and the passion that you've placed inside of every heart here. God, we just believe that we will not fail. And it's not because I am so awesome. I literally am. But God, you are the one who is going to watch over your word. You spoke a word that made us into being. I like to think that it was a song, but you spoke a word that made us into us and you will watch over that word carefully to make sure that it accomplishes all that you intended it to do. And sure, guys, like uh, in the book of Esther, God might be able to raise up another deliverer, but I want to be there, right? I want to be there and I want to do it with God and God chose you. And so, God, we just thank you for the destiny that you have for each and every life. We just thank you for the impact that you have for each and every one. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, specifically that you would convict and that you would speak to us in the deepest place about the value that you place on our faithfulness, the value that you place on our love, the value that you place on our kindness. (laughs) I don't even feel crazy saying this out loud, but I believe for each and every one, you've all given when it's hurt. You've all given in a time when it hurts, and God sees that. And God is so, so proud of you. You can't possibly miss it when he's helping you get it right. And God's going to make sure that you get there, that you get to the finish line. But I want to do everything I can to partner with him because it's more fun. So we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.